Well, good morning. It's good to be opening God's Word this morning, especially after a couple of months on the sidelines. Uh, thank you all for your prayers uh, for me and Angela over the past few months. Uh, just to give you an update, uh, tests are ongoing for my blood pressure issues. Actually, the first one is coming up this week. Uh, where I have to wear a blood pressure monitor for 24 hours, so it's going to be fun, strapped to my side. Uh, and uh, also, I think Ken would have mentioned, or the deacons a couple of weeks ago, that I had some dental work, had some braces on, they're off. Uh, but if you look really closely, my right front tooth is not really a front tooth. Uh, it's just filling at the moment, so that's an ongoing work too. But progress is being made. Uh, thank you. Uh, all for your prayers and support. I thought I'd just give a quick uh, note also about Tim Sparks. Uh, he's not here this morning. Uh, Tim's actually going away on a uni campus ca uh, camp conference uh, starting tomorrow. He's leaving uh, this afternoon, so he'd appreciate prayers uh, as he leaves, as, he, as all the uh, students come and they learn from God's word together too. Uh, let's pray as we uh, come to this passage. Father God, we thank you for the privilege it is to open your word, open it freely, knowing that you speak to us through your word powerfully uh, by your spirit to each one of us this morning. Lord, we ask that you would do that work in us today, that you'd open our minds, our ears, our hearts. Lord, help us to fix our gaze on you this morning and ask what you are saying to us through your word today. Lord, we pray that you'd be shaping us molding us and pointing us uh, to your son, Jesus, and the new life that we have in him. Lord, we ask that you do this now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we begin this morning, let me ask you, when's the last time uh, you've received a scam email, or maybe a scam phone call, or maybe even a scam door knocker? They seem to be going around more than ever before. Uh, Friday night, a week ago, I ordered uh, some of the wrap platters for last Sunday service. Uh, Woolies, they sent me a confirmation email reply straight away. And on Saturday morning, uh, Woolies sent me another email. They said I had won a $200 gift card, and all I had to do was to click this link. But was it real? It looked like the real deal. I got excited for a few seconds, but looking further, thinking further, it turned out to be a scam. Well, as we come uh, to the letter of 1 John, uh, the audience, the receivers of this letter back in the first century, a number of churches around uh, a region called Asia Minor, uh, they had problems figuring out what was the real deal. You see, these Christians, they weren't sure what teaching was real. They didn't know who their fellow Christians were. They were getting confused on exactly what real fellowship looked like. Fellowship with God and fellowship with other believers. And this was because a group of people in the church, uh, they began to believe different teachings. Not orthodox teaching, but a scam. They left the church but they were still influencing people in the church, telling them to believe these different teachings, claiming that these guys, they really knew God. 
You see, they were promoting a teaching that we call Gnosticism. Gnosis is the Greek word for no, and this teaching is all about what's called a secret knowledge, a knowledge about God, a knowledge about sin, about perfection, separating the body and the spirit. And all of these teachings, they put Jesus on the sidelines. And this Gnosticism, you might not have heard it before, but it's still around today. Uh, we may not call it that, but lots of New Age spiritualism looks really close to the teaching going around, around this time. Uh, you may have heard of a book called The Secret, a following made famous by Oprah Winfrey. It lines up pretty closely with Gnostic beliefs. There's even groups, if you look around closely, they call themselves the Gnostic Church. And even within the church, this sort of teaching can be found. When the cross of Jesus isn't central, when the focus turns to self-help and self-empowerment, when sin is minimalized, that's a tendency away from the Bible and towards Gnosticism. So John, he's writing about AD 90, and he writes to a bunch of churches in this area, and it's all about what real fellowship looks like, what real Christians believe, assuring these guys, these followers of Jesus, that they have that real fellowship with God in Jesus, and that all the teachings that they're hearing around them is a scam, that it's fake, misleading, and it's in the end nonsense. So in this letter, as we go through this term, we're going to see loving pastoral words, but we're also going to see blunt and sharp pushbacks against these false teachings. You see, 1 John teaches us that there's a line that's to be drawn. What is true and faithful about God, about Jesus, about the gospel, and what is wrong? You see, doctrine matters, teaching matters, what we believe about God matters, how we think about salvation, Jesus, the cross, it matters, our hope of new life, and sins forgiven in the crucified Saviour, it matters, and false teachings that deny, that subvert, they take us away from this good news of life won in Jesus. On the cross, they take us away from eternal life. And we'll hear more about these false teaching comments as they're brought up both today and throughout uh, the letter this term. But today we're going to look at the introduction just read by Ken and three false claims uh, and how the gospel speaks to these claims. And John begins... Verse 1, not like a normal letter, there's no greeting, uh, he gets straight to the issues at hand, because you see, these churches, they knew the apostles' teachings, but they're also hearing, remember, this different teaching. And while these guys, these churches, they didn't join the breakaway group, they were still asking these questions, who's right? Is John and Paul and the apostles' teachings really right? Or is this new teaching about God right? And I think these four verses, John answers the question, who has real fellowship with God? 
And John, he begins in a similar way to his gospel. He says in verse 1, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. These false teachers here, they were claiming this and that about God, but John, he says, let's start from the beginning. The real Jesus who came from God, with God in the beginning, John, the writer, he says, we heard him. We saw him with our own eyes. We touched him with our hands. John was there with Jesus. He was there alongside the other apostles. He had first-hand experience, eyewitness testimony. He saw the real Jesus. And Jesus, his life, his ministry, and ultimately his death and rising again, it was all about the word of life, a message of eternal life, the gospel message, the good news of salvation. And that's what verse 2 goes on to if you keep reading. The life was made manifest and we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. You see, life was the message that Jesus came down from heaven to earth to proclaim. And he accomplished this on the cross, as we've sung already this morning, paving the way for dead sinners like us to have that relationship, eternal life with God. John and the apostles, they saw Jesus. They saw, they heard, and they proclaimed this Jesus, this good news of life found in him. You see, John's proclaiming Christ. That's our mission statement. It was his task too back 1900 years ago. Verse 3 keeps going, that which we've seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. See, John, he's saying, who has real fellowship with God? He's saying, we do, not those false teachers. We saw Jesus, and then we proclaimed Jesus to you so that you can have fellowship with us, and together we can have fellowship with God through Jesus. What we're seeing right now from the start of this letter is that Jesus is central to real fellowship with God. It's only in him that fellowship with God and fellowship with God's people is possible. Fellowship with God, you see, it's not founded by self-help. It's not founded by secret knowledge or power, not by works or good morals, not by ticking off the right rituals and things to do. It's only made possible in Jesus. And Johnny finishes his introduction in verse 4. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Note the use of the inclusive language. It's not my joy, your joy. It's collective, our joy. All of us, Jesus follows, people of God. See, the contents in John's letter ought to bring and complete our joy. 
you see clarifying truths about Jesus, even if it means rebuking false teaching, it's not just a mental exercise. All this results in the greatest joy possible. Fellowship with God forever, and even more sharing that life, that fellowship with God together as a community of people who share and love and trust in Jesus. So as we work through this letter today and over the coming weeks, let's remember that these truths, these things that John brings up, that he defends, that he challenges, that he clarifies, all of this has an end goal of bringing and completing our joy. Our joy as we affirm that in Jesus we have a right and real relationship with God. We have true fellowship with the creator, ruler, and king. And as we start getting into uh, the meat of 1 John, uh, in the next eight verses, uh, we find John begin by responding to three different claims that seem to be coming from these false teachers, people outside the fellowship then. They're confusing, they're sowing doubt, they're even leading people away from salvation in Jesus. And ultimately, leading them away from life and real fellowship with God. Johnny starts here with a statement of fact about God. Uh, A.W. Tozer, some of you have heard his name. He says in a book, The Knowledge of the Holy. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He's saying what comes into your mind most naturally about God, it says actually a lot about you and your understanding of God and how you live for God. Of course, it's hard to summarize the complexities of God in one word. God is love, he's holy, he's merciful, righteous, he's compassionate and just, he's forgiving, he's sovereign, he's caring. But we can have a lopsided view of God, can't we? To see him holy without love. To see God as merciful without being righteous. To see God as sovereign and in control of all things, but not caring or compassionate. And here John reminds the the readers about one important aspect about God that the people they needed to hear about and the false teachers around them were beginning to undermine. And it's in verse 5. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. He's saying let's start off with God's holiness. God is light, his perfect purity, his total righteousness. There's no sin, there's no evil, there's no blemishes when it comes to God. God is light. You see, the false teachings going around at the time, they ignored, they downplayed, they sidelined God's holiness, as we'll see this soon. And holiness, it isn't a cool word today either. Our world around us, it's not about holiness, is it? It's about our pleasures and our desires, doing what I want and what I feel like. 
and even in our Christian lives and in, and in the world, holiness is a word for conservatives, uptight people, fundamentals. It's a hard topic to really confront because holiness, it means being open for us to be able to acknowledge that we aren't holy like God is holy. It means that we have to confess our sins. It means hard work to change our ways or to repent. And holiness, it might even drive us to a place of worship, worshipping God that we're uncomfortable with, truly living in awe of this holy God, truly seeing how sinful we are, and truly casting our lives onto Jesus. God's saying here, let's start off with holiness. Real fellowship with God remembers that God is holy, that he is light, he is pure, righteous, and perfect. And with this in place, John, he fires off five comments, all starting with the word if. It's grouped together by three different claims by these false teachers and John's response to them. And the first claim is that it's fine to follow Jesus and also live in sin. Verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the, the truth. You see, it's pretty silly to say that you're on a diet, but to keep eating fast food, to say that you're saving, saving money, but to keep hitting the shops and going on eBay and Amazon. You see, it doesn't make sense to say one thing, but to do the exact opposite. But this sort of teaching, uh, this is the sort of teaching that was creeping in. They were saying it's okay to keep living a life of sin. It's fine to keep being immoral. It doesn't matter if you keep living for yourself and the world. And in all of these things, holiness is forgotten. Well, in the early church, this false Gnostic belief, uh, this teaching uh, was coming in, saying that the body and the spirit were separate, and the body, the flesh, could do whatever it wants, and it wouldn't affect the spiritual being of a person. Uh, we mentioned before that this sort of teaching is around today. But there's some other ways that people fall into these similar traps too. Like from an extreme form of grace that was saved by grace, but then we can sin however much we want because of that. Or from a casual view of sin in our lives, sin so low on our radar that we're kind of okay with sin. And this is where John, he comes in swinging. He says, hold up a second. God is light. He's absolutely holy. There's no darkness in him. So it doesn't make sense to walk in darkness. And the word walk here, it means not just one sin or things like that. It means a lifestyle, a routine of continued and unrepentant sin, living in darkness. It's crazy to live in sin and to think that you can have fellowship with God. 
And if we make this claim, we're off the charts crazy too, saying one thing and doing the exact opposite. We actually lie. And there's no truth in living this way and thinking it's okay. Now, John, he doesn't leave us there. He corrects uh, this false claim in verse 7. If you read there, it says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, if God is light, it makes sense that we, his people, ought to walk in the light. That shows our common fellowship with one another and with God as his people, not walking in sin and darkness. And you might ask, how can we walk in the light? Don't we still sin? Well, it's Jesus, he says here, that enables us to walk in the light in the first place. Remember, we can't do it on our own. Our sin would always be in the way we're hopeless by ourselves. But you see, Jesus' blood, verse 7, cleanses us from all sin. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, he cleanses us from all sin so that we can live for God that we can walk in the light, not living in sin. And we'll hear more about this later. But as we keep going to our second claim, uh, there's been a lot of sports happening in the past month. State of origin, uh, the European football championships and the NBA finals of basketball. And one thing in common in all of these sports is that everyone, every single player thinks that they're innocent, whether it's soccer, rugby, or basketball. We see when we're watching on TV, there's a clear breaking of the rules, a clear foul, whether it's a high tackle, illegal contact, or a double dribble. But we see this. And how do the players respond? They always go, no way. Nothing illegal happened. It wasn't me. We're clean. We did nothing wrong. And that's what these false teachers seem to be doing in the second claim about sin. They say, no way, we haven't sinned, we're clean, nothing illegal happened. And they do this by arguing, actually, we humans, we have no sin anyway. We're spiritual beings, remember, so our spirit is clean, and therefore we don't need Jesus anyway. And we see this in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, that's their claim, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But God's word is clear. We've all sinned. We all fall short of God's glory. To say that we have no sin, this claim of these false teachers, that humans don't sin with whatever argument it is, this isn't God's truth. John says it's just tricking, deceiving yourselves. And he corrects his view in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, we all sin. And when we confess our sins to God, whether it's for the first time or in your day-to-day -day turning to God, John says God's faithful and just. He does what he promised. 
He forgives and cleanses us. You see, sin is a debt, and in Christ, God forgives just as he promised. Sin is like a dirty stain, and in Christ, God cleanses and removes just as he promised. God is faithful and just to his people. Now we get to the third claim. Some say it's just a repeat of verse 8. Others think it's slightly different from having no sin to not sinning yet, that their superior knowledge, these false teachers, has made these false followers incapable of sinning, that they're so high, that they're so perfect in themselves. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And John's response here is short. It's kind of the same as before, but it kind of turns it up another notch. Before we deceived ourselves, now we make God a liar. He lied about our need of redemption if we hold this false claim. Before the truth is not in us, now his word is not in us. People, to, people that subscribe to this claim of sinlessness, they do not have God's word. They're not part of the fellowship of God's people. So we've seen John, he's given a clear statement on God's holiness. He's outlined three false claims about sin, living in sin, having no sin, and having not sinned yet. And as we get to chapter 2, John, he addresses his readers directly. He puts it all together from them. Holiness, sin, not sinning, living in light of a holy God, how all of this comes and works together. And he does this lovingly as a caring mentor or father. He says in verse 1, My little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. John, he clarifies, he clears up God's view of sin here. He assumes, he says, we all sin. But he says that obviously as God's people, because God is holy, he is light, we as his people obviously strive not to sin. And when we do sin, we're not stuck on our own. We don't crumble under the burden. We don't have to throw in the towel. We don't have to hide our sin because God's given us a solution in Jesus. The focus of chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, the answer to sin alluded in these past verses. You see, our sin, it's real and it's great. But John, he reminds these readers uh, that God's solution to our sin, that there is a solution, and it's his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only way for us to have a real relationship with a holy God. Verse 1 says that Jesus is our advocate. He's our helper. He's our representative. He's kind of like our legal counsel, pleading our case to God on our behalf. And if a believer sins, if you sin, if you sin, 
Jesus, he stands before the Father right now. He's saying, he's one of mine. She's a forgiven child of mine. And Jesus, he qualifies for this role because he himself is righteous. He's holy. He's God, the Son without sin. Otherwise, he'd be in the same boat as us. And Jesus, he also qualifies for this role as advocate because he's the solution for sin in the first place. And verse 2 shows us this. He's the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus, he's the advocate that says before God's throne about us, he's clean, she's holy. And Jesus is saying, because I myself paid the penalty for their sins. John says this using a big word called propitiation. We don't use this in everyday language, but it means to atone. That one party has done wrong, us and our sin, and another party has been offended, the holy God. And the way to make this, make right this offense, to bring reconciliation to these two parties, a payment, an offering, a penalty needs to be paid to appease the offended party to make things right again. And God's word is clear that the penalty for sin is death. We, me, you, on our own, we deserve to die because of our sins. Not just physical death, but spiritual death, being apart from God forever. But the beauty of this verse is that Jesus is the propitiation of our sins. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, that because of our sin, in light of a holy God without sin who judges sin, the righteous and just penalty, remember, is death. But God, he sends Jesus. He's our righteous advocate, who's also our atoning sacrifice, who Jesus, in his death, he says, you are guilty of your sin, but I will take the penalty for sin in your place. And Jesus, in his resurrected life, right now he's advocating, even here, right now for you before God, he's saying, Neville is one of mine. I died for Wendy. His sin has been paid for by my body and blood. She is righteous because of my atoning sacrifice. Jesus, he's our advocate who died for our sins in our place. And this solution for sin, Jesus, our advocate, and Jesus, our atoning sacrifice, it's an offer not just for us, it's an offer that God gives to the whole world for their sins. John's not suggesting that every single person is going to be saved. He's not saying universalism. But he's saying that the offer is available to all. The offer is available to the whole world. God's holy. Our sins need dealing with. And God's saying to the whole world, trust in Jesus. Let him be your advocate. Let him and his atoning sacrifice 
cover your sins. And John's telling his readers, God's holy. Sin is real. But stick with Jesus. Hang on to Jesus. Don't buy into the scams. Jesus is the only hope you have to be right with a holy God. Well, as we consider this passage for us this morning, John, he begins with Jesus front and center. He, he introduces us to God's holiness and our sin. And then he circles back to Jesus as the way to make sense of God's holiness and our sin. I want to finish off this morning with three take-home points for us to consider. First is that God is holy. It's so easy to forget this, that God is perfect, pure, and righteous. He's like the brilliant light of the sun, the whitest white like snow. There's no blemish, no stain, no sin, no evil or darkness when it comes to God. When have you last considered God's utter holiness? To stand in awe of him, to live with that reverent fear and utmost respect for God, to measure our lives in light of God's holiness. Second, sin is serious. It's serious because God is holy. What's your view of sin? Do you see it as serious? Do you confess that you sinned? both in your general lifestyle and your specific acts of sin against God? Or do you have a casual, comfortable attitude to sin, hiding, denying, and downplaying sin? Let me ask you, are you walking in the light this morning? Or do you have some business to deal with God to do today? Because John's reminded us that God's people walk in the light, striving towards holiness because God himself is holy. Third and finally, real fellowship with God is only possible in Christ Jesus. Sin is broken. Our fellowship with God, the penalty of our sin is death. You see, we're all no hopers on our own. But there's hope. Because our sin is atoned for, it's paid for, propitiated, dealt with, and it's done in Christ alone. You see, Jesus deals with our sin on the cross. He allows us to have that real and right fellowship with God. In fact, Jesus, he's the only way. He's the only way for us to have a right relationship, real fellowship with God. Jesus, he's the only solution for our sin. Many of you here know this, but do you live in light of this? Running to Jesus, confessing your sin, leaning on Jesus when you feel overwhelmed by your sin, defending the saving message of Jesus when others sideline him, and proclaiming Jesus to the world as the solution to sin and the way to have real fellowship with God and having perfect joy because we do 
have real fellowship with that holy God of the universe. Maybe some of you here are still yet to accept Jesus. The only way for sinners like us to be right with a holy God, the only way is to put your trust in Jesus. Real fellowship with a holy God is in Christ Jesus alone. Let's pray. Father God, this morning we're reminded that you are holy, that as your saved and forgiven people, you call us to live in the light, to live holy lives in response to your holiness. Father God, we thank you that this holy living is possible in Jesus because he died as our atoning sacrifice, paying for our sins, and that he's advocating for us right now in your eternal throne room in heaven. Lord God, help us to take your holiness seriously. Help us to take our sin seriously. And by your spirit, help us to continue to run to Jesus as our only hope, that the means of our fellowship with you and the hope that ties us together as your saved and forgiven people is only found in Jesus. We pray this praising your praising the name of your son Jesus. Amen.